A donkey and a colt in ancient times were incredibly uh, valuable possessions. But upon the authority of the Lord, this man is just willing to just release it, to let it go. Does he know who Jesus is? We don't know. We're not given those details. But all he knows is that, is that the master, the king, ruler, is going to use it for his own purposes. And upon knowing that, then Jesus says, and he'll just release it. I wonder what that could mean for me today, for you today. Everything that, that you consider to be yours, do you consider it to be yours? Or do you consider everything that you have to be the Lord's? To, for him to use however he would ever desire. You are listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit centurybaptist.org or download the Century Baptist Church app. Just as I start today, I want to say thank you on behalf of the ministry team here uh, for your generosity this Christmas and uh, your Christmas gift. It was uh, a real blessing to, uh, to our families as well. Just as, uh, as the lead pastor, thank you so much too for your um, your faithful giving to ministry, uh, to what God is doing. We just a small piece of it today, as we saw uh, through Missio, through the For the City Center, White Cross Ministry, all that goes on down there, as well as all that goes on around the world because of the ministry of Century Baptist. So thank you for uh, just your faithful giving, but also your response to the end of the year giving. I think we're really close uh, to uh, to reaching those goals that we set for ourselves for the end of this year, and God just, just continues to be uh, incredibly good. Um, I, I don't know how this past week was for you, if you would like to forget it. It was quite the, the last week of a year, wasn't it? We, whenever we're moving into a new year, everybody's, I've never heard anybody go, I'd like to live that year over again, right? Everybody's, oh, I just want to put this behind us. But man, this last week, I don't know about you, but I mean, I kind of woke up on Tuesday morning exhausted from just all of the, the Christmas activities, and, uh, and uh, I made it about uh, half a block from my house, and, uh, and I, it took me then about a half hour to turn my car around on that ice to get back in, and driving into my house that I had just left, I uh, slid and knocked over the trash cans that I just put out in the street. And I had to go and pick up all my trash. Got that done, went into the house. I was like, man, I'm, I guess I'm not uh, going into the office today. And then the flu hit me. And uh, then I was really not going into the office. And so that was th- throughout our, our, uh, our house for the week. Um, and uh, I don't know. I say all that, not for you to feel sorry for me, but it, it's a, the Lord sometimes just gives you good intros for a sermon, right, of, of thinking about this new year that we're moving into and just leaving the past behind uh, and pressing on toward what is ahead. I don't know what you've set for yourself, maybe for some goals, uh, but if we, if we don't plan ahead for, for where we want to go, then when life happens to us, like my kind of garbage week that I had, it just, you just have a different perspective on the world and other people and life. You're just, get me out of here. This is terrible. I don't want to be around anybody. And, you know, we just... We've got to make a plan. If we make a plan and we strategically move toward it, then whatever happens to us, we just see it as, as just motivation to just keep pressing on. Today, as we move back into the book of Matthew, we're going to be in Matthew 21 today. 
uh, I, I want to take a look at a very familiar passage that usually we aren't uh, studying uh, at the beginning of the year, but usually around uh, Easter. Um, I want us to think about some questions that we could ask ourselves moving into the new year that we can get out of this text that really helps us to understand how will I be a stronger, deeper, more curious follower of Jesus Christ in this coming new year. This is what uh, Matthew 21, 1 to 11 states. And the three questions that I want to I have us ask ourselves uh, through this text are, are we find them really kind of in this are what can I give, what do I need, and who is this? So what can I give, what do I have to offer, uh, and what do I need? And am I really looking for it? Am I, am I pursuing just desires, or am I pursuing fulfillment for what my needs actually are? And then finally, who is this? Who, who is Jesus to you? This is the story of uh, the triumphal entry. Let's stand together as I read this. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, that is, Jesus, his disciples, and the crowd that was following him, uh, they came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you should say, The Lord needs them, and he'll send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and Jesus sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Father, this is your word. Uh, It is beautiful. It is powerful. It is living and it is active. And we just ask that you would do a great work in each and every one of us this morning. We are welcome, Father. May your spirit do uh, just a work that, that nothing else can do. Give our minds focus, our hearts focus. Give me clarity, Father, and unite us as a church family to be the people you want us to be, to do what it is you've called us to do together. We love you. Amen. You can have a seat. So uh, if you are keeping track, uh, we're now, today, we're starting year number three in moving into the book of Matthew as we're studying through it. Uh, I I think it's uh, somewhat fitting uh, as our passion, our vision here at Century Baptist uh, is to be a place to grow and make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God. We're called to do that together. Not just a lot of people, oftentimes we need to be just a reminder, but we think that, that making disciples means I just show up at a lot of stuff. Right? If, I, if I just show up to enough Bible studies, if I go to church, go to youth group, go to these classes, whatever it is, then I'm going to be, I'm going to grow as a disciple. That's part of it. But as we talk about over and over again, Jesus has called each and every one of us 
to not just be disciples, but to make them. In other words, we're sharing our faith with people. We're finding people who need an example to follow, and we're walking alongside them in the journey. That is discipleship. And so we've been studying Jesus' life and his ministry for so long. Uh, out of just the, this one book, out of Matthew, for us to, to not only fall more in love with Jesus, to not only grow and figure out how we're supposed to live this life, to follow him as our Savior and Lord, but also how he discipled other people so that we can know how to disciple others. And so three years might seem like a long time, but man, we're, that's how long Jesus actually took to disciple his actual disciples. So I think we're doing pretty good. Uh, we're in good company. And, and so today we're, we're beginning the final week. Chapter 21 begins the final week of Jesus' ministry and life on earth with his disciples before his death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven. And so we're going to spend, I don't know how, how much time we're going to spend in, on these last number of chapters, um, but just understand that, that I think it's a pretty great day, like as we move into a new year, to start this, this particular final season of Jesus' ministry, the most important and the most vital as he goes to the cross. Another thing, to just as a reminder, to understand that Matthew, the writer of this gospel, uh, is writing to a Jewish audience. The whole purpose behind it is that they would understand and see Jesus as the Messiah that we, that we just got done reading about. As Jesus is riding into Jerusalem and people are proclaiming him as king, but do they truly, fully understand that he's the saving Messiah that would lay down his, his life for them? No, they, the answer is no, they, they didn't fully understand it. But our role is to understand it even better, and then we can take it out uh, to the lives of other people. But Matthew's writing to this Jewish audience, and, and in his gospel, over 60 times he quotes the Old Testament in talking about prophecy, about knowing the Savior when he comes, knowing the Messiah. You'll know who he is. And, and this, again, is one of those moments and so as we look at this, this event that takes place and Jesus coming into the city, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of the gospel writers, include this narrative in their writing. Every one of them telling it from maybe a different angle, depending on uh, the audience that they're writing to. But Matthew I find interesting because most of the time he spends describing the event. And, and what's taking place, the leading up to it, and, and going up to Bethphage, and getting the donkey, and coming down into the city. And, and so these three questions I just kind of pulled uh, to break down this text for us to understand it a little bit better. The first question that we can ask ourselves, our own lives leading into the new year, and in our relationship with Christ is, so what do I have to give? What can I give? There's some guy in Bethphage that has a donkey and a colt and he's got him tied up probably wakes up in the morning and I assume has no clue about what his day is going to look like that all of a sudden these two ragamuffin guys are going to come up and just untie his colt and his donkey and just walk away and and when they're like well I don't know Jesus just said if he anybody asks us just say the Lord needs it kind of like the you know, Obi-Wan and the stormtroopers, like, these are not the droids you're looking for. <laughs> and, and he's just going to let it go. We, we don't exactly know what happens. All we know is that 
is that Jesus knew that this needed to take place. One of the things that sets Matthew apart in the telling uh, of, of his perspective is that he's the only one that quotes uh, this passage out of, uh, out of Zechariah. That hundreds of years earlier proclaimed, you'll know your Savior when he comes uh, to greet you because he will be riding on the back of a colt. Jesus couldn't make it any more clear. In order to do this, and I'm going into Jerusalem, they had come from Jericho up over the Mount of Olives, and now they're going to come into Jerusalem, and this was the moment that he was going to proclaim to everybody who he was. Less than a a, a mile, uh, Bethphage sits from Jerusalem. He'd ride down this hill and through the Kidron Valley and and enter through that gate. But in order to do it, in order to, to fulfill all the prophecies that needed to take place, that people would see who Jesus was, he was going to need this, this animal to ride uh, on the back of. Um, the back of a foal of a beast of burden. The, the, the understanding is, in all of this is God has been at work from the beginning to work out his plan. For the world to receive Jesus. Not only as we talked about last week as a child, but now as a grown man and as that living sacrifice to the world. As king, as we've been studying in, throughout the entire book of Matthew, God has been uh, at work. Jesus knew it. The time had come and God had prepared it. And there, there were these animals. I don't believe that Jesus went on ahead to Bethphage and looked around looking for a donkey guy. It was like, okay, I'm going to need you to have this tied up. He just tells his disciples out of great faith. He knows in all of his knowledge and the power of God. He says, you're going to go into the city because God has already laid it out that the, right when you walk in, the first thing you're going to see is a donkey and a colt, and you're just going to take them because the Lord needs to use them. That, that, that's the important thing. That, that's is really what kind of got my mind spinning on this text was this, the, the word Lord. Tell them the Lord needs it. The word that's used in the Greek is kurios. It, it means king. It means master. It, in the Hebrew, the word that's used it describes God, Adonai. means the one in supreme authority or it can also mean the one who owns all the property. I, I think that's what Jesus was getting at when he said, because I can imagine the disciples like, well, you've asked us to do some strange things, but you've never asked us to steal for you before, right? And he's not having them steal. He, it's, he says, look, the Lord needs it. Just tell him. You're going to go. You're going to find these animals. You're just going to take them. Because why? He wasn't stealing them. It's because I already own them. I'm the Lord. I'm, I'm the sovereign king. I'm the master over everything. I've created all things. This world is mine to be used however it needs to be used to declare the glory of God. And, and I would say for us as individuals, we could just sit back and go, and that's true about each and every one of our own lives. The earth is the Lord and everything in it. That's us. We are His created beings. We do not have full control over our lives. Our role in life is to surrender that control to God, to to give it to Him, to say, use me, however it is that you would like to use me. And 
And that's what's happening here. Jesus says, just go grab those animals. Because they're mine anyway. And, and, and they're being used for the purpose that God has laid out from the beginning of time. Deuteronomy 10, 14 says, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens and the earth with all that is in it. David repeats almost the same thing in Psalm 24, 1. This is something that we all could, could learn to understand a little bit better. That, that our lives, everything that we have in our lives, the people in our lives are all under the possession of God's authority, His ownership, but upon the authority of the Lord. This man is just willing to just release it, to let it go. Does he know who Jesus is? We don't know. We're not given those details. But all he knows is that that the master, the king, ruler, is going to use it for his own purposes. And upon knowing that, then Jesus says, and he'll just release it. I wonder what that could mean for me today, for you today. Everything that, that you consider to be yours, do you consider it to be yours? Or do you consider everything that you have to be the Lord's? To, for him to use however he would ever desire. What is it that you hold on so tightly that maybe as you're moving into a new year to say, you know what, I could let go of that because that's become an idol, that's become a God, that's become a possession that I cling to so tightly. That's my security that I need to get rid of. That's what I worked hard for that. I deserve that. What do you have that you are not willing to release to the Lord to say, if, if you need to use it, use it. This guy had a donkey right? A donkey? How could the Lord ever use a donkey? Well, it's amazing what God will do with something when you say it's yours. So what is it that you have? I mean, we automatically think so often of our time and our talents, our, 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 our finances. Like, all right, Lord, yeah, you, you know, whatever it is. But what about your career? What about your title? What about, what about your home? Is your home your safe haven? Is that the place you get away from people? Or, or do you see your home as, look, God, if you could use my home to reach my neighborhood, to, to be used to, so that my, my kids, rather than keeping their, their friends out, because we work hard to maintain this, but we, we create a home that we welcome kids in where they can come and see what it's like to, to see a family that loves Jesus and loves each other. It, the list is endless. The list is only as long as, as you sitting down and making it. This is everything that I have. Not just possessions, but your family, your kids. Maybe, maybe your kids come to you someday. I, I was a youth pastor for a lot of years, and, and, and being a lead pastor for a number of years, I've met with a lot of families that come and go, hey, my, 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 my child's thinking about going into the ministry, but could you talk them out of it? You know, or, or they, they want to go to the other side of the world on a mission trip. And you want to tell, you need to tell them how dangerous it is. And like, well, you're talking to the wrong guy, right? Are, are you willing to release whatever it is that you hold tightly so that God can do something great with it? With your stuff, your people, time, whatever it is. How could God use it? Proverbs 16, 4. The Lord has made everything for its purpose. Our job is to figure out, so what's the purpose? God, how would you like to use this to make your name 
great, because I will let you to further the kingdom. What do you own that you could offer a king? When I think about that, I think absolutely everything. And for me, it's still not enough because he deserves more. But it's all his in the first place. So what do you have? What do you have that, that maybe you could just say, Lord, how do you want to use this? My life, my people, my stuff, my time to make your name great. And then ask yourself, what do I need? In ancient times, during times of war, uh, a king, a ruler, a lord, would be seen on the back of their horse. Not just that maybe they were marching off to war, but to show the people that your leader is ready at all times. That if the call comes and if we have to go fight, uh, I'm going to be the first one out there. But during times of peace, a king, a ruler, would get on and ride around on the back of a donkey. Because if you have ever seen a donkey or been on a donkey, you know you're not going anywhere quickly. Right? That you're not going into any battle. You're going wherever that animal decides it's going to go that day. And so for a king to be on the back of, uh, of a donkey was a great proclamation to the people that we must obviously be at times of peace. Because our king is, doesn't seem to be needing uh, to rush anywhere. Uh, in 1 Kings 1.33, as King David was... Uh, passing the baton was giving the throne to his son Solomon. He called his, uh, his servants together and he said, I want you to put Solomon on the back of my donkey and I want you to lead him down to the water where I want you to anoint him as the next king. It was this, I want, it's a declaration to the people that we are, uh, that we're in a time of, of peace and yet an anointing has come and this is declaring that this is the king. And so we have this passage in Zechariah to say, look, you need to look forward to this Savior, this King that is coming. You're going to know Him because He's going to be on the back of a donkey. And, and the, the bizarre thing about this is if you read all of Zechariah 9 and this prophecy, this declaration, there are verses before it and after it that talk about God's enemies falling, God's enemies being destroyed. It's kind of this war language. But right in the middle of it is... And your king will be on the back of, of a gentle animal. So even though it's going to feel like war, even though it's going to feel like chaos, even though it's going to feel like things are out of control, you can know that, that, that the enemy is going to fall, but it's going to fall because our king is actually going to be doing it through peace and not war. So pay attention. And, and when you see this taking place, you will know that this is your king. Well, there are a lot of people that, that somewhat got it. They understood it. Jesus is coming down this hill, and he's on the back of this animal, and people begin to take off their coats and put them down on the road, kind of like a red carpet. That This is a somebody. We're, we're ushering him, and he's not only that, but he's coming into the holy city. He's going to establish his throne. He's going to defeat our enemies. And so they cut down palm branches because palm branches were, they were like a symbol of Israel, a nation of Israel. So they're waving and it's this huge rally for Jesus. And they're praising God. And they say, 
Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna means save us now. It's a declaration. They're pleading for him. This is what we need. We need you to save us. We need you to rescue us. We need you to fulfill the promise that God had made. What we know about this crowd is that, well, we'll get to this in a bit, but we've seen that a lot of them don't even know who Jesus is. But there is a crowd that's with him, and they're coming down the the Mount of Olives with him. And John actually tells us in John chapter 12 that this crowd is with him because they had either been with him uh, from coming down from Galilee, and he's kind of the crowd kind of picked up steam. Um, but then also they were there uh, just a day earlier when he raised Lazarus from the dead, and so word had spread. And so a crowd was building. But not only that, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem on a very specific day. He's coming in to to bring in and to celebrate Passover. The the highest uh, feast and celebration holiday for the Jewish people when everybody was required to come to the city to offer a sacrifice have blood would be shed there in the temple on behalf of their sins, of them and their family. So there are a lot of people that are in Jerusalem at this time. It's the perfect time for Jesus to come out and declare to the world that he is king. But the crowd that was there on the road kind of had been following him around and they had seen him raise Lazarus from the dead or they heard about it. They wanted to be a part of it. Now they see him on the back of this cold. Everything's lining up. This must be our king. So save us. But as we've talked about, the the idea of the people in their minds is they want to be saved from the oppression of the Romans. You know, this Greek influence that was coming over them. And they wanted to be free. They wanted to be their own nation. Give us Israel back. We want it just to be us. That's what you're going to do, right? That's what they thought. Jesus had a much bigger plan of fulfilling the Father's plan of rescuing and redeeming people's greatest need. That's a separation from God because of their sin. But here they are shouting Hosanna and asking Him for salvation, understanding that this the prophecy was being fulfilled. They even declare it. Hosanna, save us, son of David. Because they know that the Messiah is going to come from the line of David. So they've got, for the most part, they've got a pretty good perspective that Jesus is the King. They just don't understand how He's going to save. But they're crying out, we need saving. Interesting uh, about this and, and them crying out uh, this cry, Hosanna to Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest, is that that comes from Psalm 118. And during the season of Passover, leading up to Passover, as people are coming into the city and working their way up to the temple, they would sing these songs of praise. It was known as a Hallel. And what they would do during that time of the year, they would sing out certain phrases from all the way from Psalm 113 all the way to Psalm 118. And the one that they would proclaim the loudest as they would be coming into the city was from Psalm 118. Verse 24 says, this is the day the Lord has made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. They would cry that out. Verse 25, then, Hosanna, save us, we pray, O Lord. Give us success, for blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
typically for them, they're, they're singing it about themselves. Coming to the temple in preparation for Passover, blessed is he, me, who comes in the name of the Lord. But in this case, they're praising Jesus. God has sent you. You are the son of David. And you're going to be our Savior. Blessed are you for doing the work of the Lord. Even though their understanding of Jesus is a little bit off. He's not the warrior king that's going to bring success by conquering enemies. He is going to bring success by dominating sin just a few days later. The question for us that we can ask today, just out of this text, is do you have a a clear focus on who Jesus is, what it is that you need, and, and how he can fix that need? What is it that you truly need and are you willing to continue to praise and to worship and to cry out to him even though it may not seem that he's answering it exactly the way you think he should? What do you need? Because he can provide it. Just cry out to him. Finally, the question that we can ask out of this text is, so who is this? I love that about this. Because we have this mindset that Jesus was, he was, obviously he was a big deal in his day. But he wasn't known by everybody. Most of the time he spent his time up in the Galilee region with a lot of people that the rest of the world never even paid much attention to. But here he comes down into the city and, and, and there's a crowd out there and they're causing quite the uproar to the point where it says that, that the entire city of Jerusalem was really in, was stirred up. It means that, that there was anxiety, there was, what are we missing out? There's FOMO, right? It was all this stuff that people were dealing with. What is going on outside of the city? What's happening on the road? Who is that guy? To which most people would think, Who, where have you been? But they want to know, what's all the commotion? What's everybody worked up about? Who are they praising and who are they worshiping? Who, who is this? Lots didn't know, others didn't understand. Interesting thing, John tells us in John chapter 12, that even Jesus' disciples on that day, they're the ones who went and got the donkey, and they put the coats on, and they're walking, and they're part of the crowd. They've been with Jesus for three years, and it says that even Jesus' disciples were confused as to what was taking place that day, and that they didn't fully understand it until Jesus was glorified. In other words, after his death and resurrection, that it It all made sense to them. But even the disciples didn't understand. Here's what what we can understand. I love this about it. We talk about this almost every Palm Sunday. Um, But we're told by John that this event happens, this coming into the city happens uh, five days before Passover. It'll be on the calendar, the 10th day of Nisan. Um, and, and we find that date uh, way back in Exodus chapter 12, uh, where God's people are in captivity in Egypt. God sends Moses uh, to demand from Pharaoh that he release his people, that they could leave and they could go to, this, to the promised land. And Pharaoh was hard-hearted and he wouldn't let him go. And so the story, as we know it, is that the multiple plagues that fall upon. The final plague that's going to fall upon Pharaoh and all of Egypt is the death of the firstborn son. 
And, and, and so um, Pharaoh gets the warning. He's not letting God's people go. And so God comes to his people and he says, look, here's what's going to happen. Uh, because of Pharaoh's hard-heartedness and disobedience, there's going to come a death to the first, their firstborn son in all the households in Egypt. You included, he says to God's people, you included unless you take a, a spotless, blameless, blemish, uh, blemish-free lamb and you sacrifice it. You take the blood of that lamb and you spread it on the doorposts of your house. And when I send my angel to come through, any home that has blood uh, will be spared. Their, their child will be spared. But anyone that does not, then their firstborn son will die as a price for disobedience and hard-heartedness, but also as a sign of freedom and life. And, and that's exactly what takes place, and it crushes Pharaoh to the point where he just tells Moses, grab your people and get out of here, because I don't want to deal with this God anymore. God stops the people uh, and, and he tells them, basically, basically, it's this, do you understand the magnitude of what just took place? That your life had been spared, that blood had been shed, and what God was doing was, was a foreshadowing so that when Jesus would come, when he would die as that innocent, spotless sacrifice on that cross, that people would understand that he is the one that gives them life, that he is the one that has saved them from their sin. But in order to do that, God knows, because we're forgetful people, he says, from here on out, every year you're going to celebrate Passover. You're going to remember Passover by you as a family. On the 10th day of Nisan, you're going to choose for yourself a spotless, blemish-free lamb that you are going to use uh, as a sacrifice. That that, the blood of that lamb will be sacrificed to forgive you of your sins. And you'll take it into your home and you will care for it, but you'll choose for it on that 10th day. And it is no coincidence, as John tells us and the gospel writers tell us, that on the day that Jesus got on that donkey to come into Jerusalem was the 10th day of Nisan. It was Lamb Selection Day. Here are the people. They don't even know it. They're on the side of the road and they're proclaiming, this is our king. This is our Messiah. This is our Savior. They don't, as I say, they don't fully understand it, but what they're saying is, this is our Lamb. We say yes. And as people are raising a commotion in the rest of the, the city, who, who is this guy? This is Jesus of Nazareth, of Galilee. Some may know the story. You, you, you may have heard of him. Some say he was born in Bethlehem, the way that the prophet said that he would be. Some say, as they even said, some say he's a great prophet. We know he's an incredible person. Some now are proclaiming him as king. But what we know and what we understand, what we get the blessing of seeing and looking back is that Jesus was not just an earthly king who came to conquer armies, but he came as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Have you ever asked that question, who is this? seen Jesus for who he is and said, he's mine. I'll take him. He is the only one who's blameless to take away my sins. There's a... When I was putting this together, this phrase just bounced in my head, and I'm like, where did I hear that before? And I remember... I, 
I've seen this clip about a hundred times because I think it's so powerful. There's a show on TV. It's called Ted Lasso. And it's about this bumbling soccer coach. Uh, or he was, a, he was a football coach, college football coach here in the States. And um, uh, there's an English premier soccer team uh, who the, the owner of the team, he just loves the team, in the divorce, lost the team to his wife. And his, his ex-wife makes the decision she's going to destroy this team so that she can ruin uh, her ex-husband's life. And so she hires Ted Lasso, this guy who knows nothing about soccer, and he's from the middle of America, to come and to coach this team, in her hopes, into the ground. And so there's this scene uh, uh, into, I don't even know what season it's in, um, but uh, Ted is there in, uh, in London, and he's at a pub with this ex-husband, this former owner of the team, who is, hates Ted so badly because of how his wife is using him against him, destroying his team, kind of the love of his life. And, and so he, they make a bet. They're, they're going to play darts. And, and they say, Ted says, I'll tell you what, if you beat me, uh, you can choose the lineup for the rest of the season, you know, to try to turn this team around. But if I beat you, then you have to leave us alone and let me do my thing. And, and the whole time, this guy, his name is Rupert, he just, you know, Ted, you're an idiot. You're never going to win. You're more of a fool now than I ever thought you were. And so they start playing, and, and all of a sudden, Ted starts throwing, and he just starts hitting triple 20s, bullseyes, and, and, and he says, you know, Rupert, he said, guys have been underestimating me my entire life. I, I, know, I, know, this, I know this clip because I've watched it, I don't know how many times online, because I think it's so powerful, but he, but he said, one day I was, I was driving my son to school, and I saw a sign on the side, or it was a quote by Walt Whitman that said, be curious, not judgmental. The whole idea is ask questions, is what he's saying. You ask questions about people. Judgmental people just automatically assume, and then they demand. And that's really the world that we're living in today, isn't it? That's kind of my hope for 2024, is that, is that, we, that we can just stop declaring to people how they should live their lives based on our opinion, or, 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 or that we walk around... Uh, as know-it-alls, telling everybody all the stuff that they don't know and how they need to change their lives based on our opinion rather than, than taking it to people in love and sharing with them the gospel, letting the Holy Spirit work. But, but we just live in this culture of criticism and, and tearing people down and talking about people. We talk about it as a staff all the time. You know, we, we work with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And so people ask us all the time, how do you, how do you deal with people that maybe you don't get along with? And I say, you just got to know their story. If you know people's story, you know where they come from, you know why they act the way that they act. And then you fall more in love with them and you want to help them. Be curious, not judgmental. And, and Ted says, you know, Rupert, if, you'd have, if you would, instead of being judgmental, if you'd be curious, you would know that every day from age 10 to age 16, before my father passed away, he and I would play darts every day. If you were curious, you would have known that, and you would have never made this bet, right? So for those of you who watch Ted Lasso, and he just says, barbecue sauce, right? And he nails, nails the bullseye. For us today, uh, my hope is, is that through this text and, and leading into 2024, that we would be people that would be curious about our curios, about our curious king, that we want to know him more, that we would desire deeply to find out how we can take him out into the world. We can live in such a way 
that we would help our friends, our neighbors, and the people around us be curious about Jesus because of our lives. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for who you are. We're grateful that we too have a king who comes and reigns in peace and gives us his peace, who willingly, Father, laid down his life on that cross for us, gave his life up for us, that that we could have a relationship with you, that we could call you Father, that we can... We can live in peace knowing that you as Father call us your children, that you care, that you watch over, that you guide and that you lead. That's our prayer for this coming year, God. Would you be our wonderful counselor? Would you be our Prince of Peace? Would you be our King of Kings? Help us this year, Father, to grow as disciples of you, not proclaiming that we know everything, but that we would just be more curious to know you even more and let you do the same with us. Amen. Let's stand, close, and worship.